This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Support for Pivot comes from Pendo. Pendo improves the apps your customers and employees rely on. Whether you're building applications for customers or managing applications for employees, Pendo can help deliver better experiences for your users so they can get more value from your software. Visit pendo.io slash pivot to learn more about how your team can use Pendo to start building better digital experiences. There you can also check out Pendo's lineup of free certification courses, 12 hours of in-depth training for your product management teams on topics from AI to product analytics to product-led growth. That's pendo.io slash pivot to learn more. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. Scott, you were great on Face the Nation this weekend. I was obviously better. (laughs) By the way, aren't we fancy on Face the Nation together? Aren't we fancy? Yeah, Margaret. Margaret, well, she was fancier than us. We were like, did not look fancy next time. I like her. I think she's She's the best Sunday morning host. She's cool. She's a cool customer, as they say. In addition to that, I think she's the definition of making something that's really hard look really easy. She does. She just is seamless and um, asks hard questions, but comes across as graceful yet, you know, forceful yet dignified. She's fantastic. But that was a little, I love how we, by the way, back to us, we go on Face the Nation. Yeah. And rather than talking to Margaret pre-program, you and I are bantering back and forth as if we haven't seen each other in two hours. (laughs) She's like, she's like, you have some relationship. Did they talk to you? I heard they talked to you about not behaving. Did they talk to you about behaving? Not saying penis. I did not. I did not not hear that. Did they? I'm sure they probably They were worried. They were Were worried. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? That's called <laughs> that's called common sense. They should be worried. You're the one right. who was throwing out gay sex jokes. I know I was. I yeah, was. But you know was. what? Let's keep ourselves real. That's who we are. There we're going to we go. go, by the way, everybody, Scott and I have made a pact that we're going to appear as many things together as possible. And so we could get in trouble much more easily. Like we've suicide been pact. <laughs> suicide pact. We're going down together. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, we're speaking of like, we have so much news. It's crazy. A lot of news. A lot of news. Crazy amounts of news. Today, Disney brings back Bob Iger and Elon Musk brings back Trump. Also, we'll speak with a friend of Pivot, Noam Barden, about a new social network that wants to pay for content. And it's a really interesting thing. It's called Post News. First, uh, concert goers want to see some swift antitrust action. Last week, Taylor Swift fans tried to buy tickets to her upcoming tour, but crashing websites and complicated wait lists turned the sale into a disaster, and many were left empty-handed. On top of that, the tickets on resale websites like StepUp were priced at $26,000. Now fans and politicians are pointing the finger at Ticketmaster, the nation's largest ticket seller, and their calls to reverse Ticketmaster's 2010 merger with Live Nation, including from AOC, who tweeted the company should be broken up. There are there are some uh, some reporting of um, that Ticketmaster did tell the team at of Team Swift to stagger sales instead of listing the entire tour at once. That was fifty two shows. But Swifties are a strong force, and she's been mm-hmm. very 
reasonable but firm at them. So it's really interesting uh, what's happening here in the struggle between uh, ticketing agencies and Taylor Swift. I feel like Taylor Swift's going to win this round no matter what. Um, some of the politicians have been a little bit noisy, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. if people are bad, my son is mad at Ticketmaster. I Louis is like Ticketmaster. Blah. So reasonable but firm. That's, that's the nickname I have for Cialis. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of that. Oh, a penis joke. Anyway, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. So the idea of 4 million Taylor fans being profoundly disappointed does yeah. bring me joy. <laughs> I got to be honest. It does bring me joy. I love Taylor Swift. Do I know not. you do. I could All name right. a Taylor Swift uh, song to, to save my life. I just well, know that she goes. Well, the anti-hero sounds like you. I just know I'm, she goes out with a guy for 72 hours and then writes a song I'm about it. I'm the problem. It's me. It's, it, let me go. just tell you. Cleric Joe Katz knows every single lyric to Does Antihero. He? She's singing it. We sing it together. Yes. Mm, anyways. Look, okay, let's At be serious. So, time. Okay, it, sorry. It, the unexpected regulator yeah. for Meta was Tim Cook. And I'm believing, or I'm starting to believe, that the unexpected head of the DOJ is going to be Taylor Swift because yeah. what this has brought attention to yeah. is that in 2010, Live Nation and Ticketmaster merged, creating a behemoth that controls, get this, of live event tickets. Yeah. And so the the whole what you call joy around music, live performances, whether it's Elton John's 18th sure. farewell tour. By the way, mm-hmm. that guy is so full of shit. He I, has went a lot his, of I went tours. to his farewell tour a decade ago. <laughs> yeah, I where know. Where it's like, oh, we got to yeah. go because this is it. And then 10 yeah. years later, he's still saying farewell. He's He literally is the thing that wouldn't leave. By the way, I love Elton John. But... The, yeah. When you have 70% of a market, especially in live events, what that means is that off-off-Broadway or some mm-hmm. little independent band isn't on Live Nation or Ticketmaster, and everyone else is. And here's the thing. Yeah. They don't need to invest the requisite tens of millions of dollars in technology and infrastructure to ensure they can handle site loads, spikes, because they don't need to. Because when Taylor Swift goes back on the platform and they say, we've, we've, fixed, the, we've fixed the glitch— Everyone will show up again. They're not going to mm-hmm. go, oh, we'll go to this other site to buy Taylor Swift tickets. So this is a good example of what it means to exercise monopoly abuse. This is a manifestation. Yeah. Monopoly power antitrust system has two two lines of thinking. The original mm-hmm. one was Brandeisian, and that was channel power. For example, Amazon puts a lot of small companies out of business. A lot of e-commerce companies just can't compete because of Amazon's cheap capital yeah. and them abusing their custody of the consumer. Then there's the Bork view of antitrust, and that is consumer harm. And it's been always been very hard to apply that litmus test to big tech because the majority of their products are free. But in this instance, there is demonstrable consumer harm. So I think any attention yeah, now, is good. Now, let me let me push back just a tiny bit because mm-hmm. it's, it's a little more complex. This is a really complex story, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to politicians to jump on this bandwagon, but it's absolutely true. They dominate, no question. Although some people think those numbers are, aren't quite correct. And there, and mm-hmm. there's some significant research into this. And other companies that were selling tickets also uh, had problems, right? Had problems with this thing. And mm-hmm. I think one of the issues I think that's important is the way they rolled this out. And this is a thing called full rate, no cap. It's a, it's a newsletter, which I thought was interesting. I was reading it. Let me read this. It's pretty obvious that putting 52 dates on sale at once is unnecessary stress to any tech platform. But again, the artist has control. Taylor took to Instagram today to point the finger at Ticketmaster, but she had made this decision. Another thing is maybe that's uh, the biggest issue. Tuesday was a failure of Ticketmaster and not the pricing. Some have suggested a more competitive marketplace would lead to better tech options that can do a better 
job selling seats. But that's, if that's true, it's also fair to know that five of Taylor's 52 shows were sold by SeatGeek, not Ticketmaster, which is a fully hmm. digital company. Reports show that SeatGeek had very similar problems, impossibly really. long queues, fans being dropped from the waiting list, site delays due to unprecedented traffic and bots. And one of the things, and there are other there are other competitors um, like uh, Tickets.com, et cetera, New Era Tickets and stuff. But but you're right. One of the things that I thought that I liked about this piece was if Congress actually wants to be helpful, there are some legislative solutions that would protect fans, create a bot act with teeth, put caps on scalper pricing. The UK has done this and early results are promising. Make service fees transparent. Uh, mandate all in pricing. So as advertised cost of a ticket doesn't suddenly jump when it comes to checkout. And more than anything, do not prevent artists from limiting resale. This will empower them to have final word on ticket pricing. And and of course, the Ticketmaster execs got attacked by the Swifties and many others. But it's uh, it's a it's a really interesting problem. And obviously more competition will solve it, but there are some significant things. Congress has done nothing here that they could do well beyond breaking this thing up. Um that that could could solve lots and lots of problems here. It is easy to yell at them, but it's mm-hmm. also it's more complex to legislate. And the bot legislation, which has been sitting there forever, is one that is I think very important. I I, I really do. I have to say, now, often Congress yells and screams and then doesn't do any legislation. So that's I'll my... tell you though, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but whenever I buy a ticket to anything, I'm yeah. just struck at the amount of fees that are layered. Fees. On. It's like Airbnb, and, same thing. We talked about that. Well, and also Airbnb is, I don't want to say monopoly, but they dominate. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and just the fees when you go on these ticket sites. Also, sort of my liberal guilt coming out, every time I go to, uh, and, and it happens to me really at Disney, mm-hmm. I just see how expensive it is. Yeah. And I think, wow, the, the average American family like needs to save all year and then come here every other year. It is. Yeah. Or just to take your kids. My dad used to take me to L.A. Kings games when yeah. we lived in Los Angeles. And I remember we'd get tickets for, I think, uh, six or eight bucks. And obviously yeah. they weren't great seats, but we could afford that. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think to, for yeah. a family of four to go to. It's, it's incredibly it's expensive. Extraordinary. And, uh, you know, I know it sounds crazy. We're taking Claire to Frozen on Ice, and yeah. we have money and everything else. But when I saw the price of those tickets, I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah, like, it's crazy. and I can afford it. And I was like, "Do I want to afford this? This is crazy yeah. amounts of money. It was crazy. It's got to be sorted out." And Congress has got to stop screaming. Ticketmaster has to stop being defensive. Taylor Swift has to take some responsibility, and they have to pass some really smart laws to to create something where where there would be at least parity in terms of. And people knowing the prices they're getting, because it feels, people do feel like they're getting screwed, no question, at all levels. So we'll see. Another story, which is totally depressing. Again, difficult news out of Colorado. The LGBTQ Mm -hmm. community is still reeling after a gunman took the lives of at least five people at a Colorado Springs nightclub over the weekend. More than two dozen people were injured. At least one club patron attacked and subdued the shooter, pinning him to the floor until the police arrived. Police now have a suspect in custody. He sounds, you know problematic and on lists and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, the right wing is saying, don't politicize this right after the event. And I think I shall politicize it because Please. this is a year of propaganda from the right that smeared the LGBTQ and especially trans community as groomers. Mm-hmm. All this legislation, all this hatred. It's, you know, Lauren Boebert saying she feels this is very upsetting, has been right at the forefront of using terms like rumors and pedos around gay people and and trans people. Um, and Matt Walsh, who is just the most loathsome person I think uh, you've ever got to meet, is immediately saying, oh, that they're trying to castrate young people, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. 
So, and then, of course, Elon Musk himself last night did a lovely anti-gay post about him and CBS. Just, and of course, he did the Paul Pelosi thing. This is all, this is not the cause of it, but this is how you get to this. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to directly... I, I will draw a straight line. All this legislation, all this anti-trans stuff, all this anti-gay stuff is precisely mm-hmm. why stuff like this happens. Yeah, it's not a it's not a straight line, but it's a line, and this is how it starts. And when yeah. you don't when you don't reject hatred and have a uh, just a, a total intolerance around it and shame people and as corporations weigh in, it festers. Yeah, and then there's some sort of economic shock and people are looking for scapegoats. Yeah. And then you hear elected leaders that are supposed to represent America using terms like grooming. Yeah. The other thing that was, I mean, amongst the many things that were so upsetting here, you, what you heard from all the people interviewed afterwards was it was a safe place. A safe place. Uh-huh. And it's just so incredibly just horrific to think that anyone now in any safe place feels less safe. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's especially heinous that people... And any sort of minority that feel like they need to sequester to a place, a safe place where they can be around other people who understand them and they're not judged and they get to be who they want to be and they get to have a good time, that those safe places are not only not safe places, they're less safe than the general community because they've Mm -hmm. become targets. And, And then it all comes back to... Uh, and we keep this this dangerous, bereft resignation around guns. Mm-hmm. You know, in 2020, there were 19,346 gun homicides in the U.S. Do you know how many mm-hmm. were, there were in the U.K.? What, like two? 30. Yeah. And then, and not only that, it's even, even worse that this gets warranted attention. But in the U.S., 24,000 people will kill themselves with a handgun. Yeah. And yeah. it's just something, it's just something, and also just... Uh, uh, I, you know, I got people ask, well, what's the big difference in the UK? You know what one difference is? What's that? Well, when I drop my kids off at school in the US, and uh, I would have, I couldn't help it. I have horrible imagery that runs through my head. Mm-hmm. I don't have that here. Yeah. You know why? You don't think about it. Because it doesn't happen here. It and by the way, here. this notion that it comes at a cost, I'm going duck hunting next weekend. Yeah. Shooting is a big sport here. It it's not like they don't have guns. It's not as if they don't appreciate guns. Uh, they can't enjoy uh, access to firearms for sport and hunting. Yeah. They're just reasonable around figuring out a way not to have assault rifles everywhere yeah. or guns everywhere. It's not the old West. Colorado is not the old West. This is just, uh, you know, there's nothing we can do to stop the sickness at the heart of the U.S. in this issue. I Honestly, I don't think there is. And more sickness, the anti-gay Twitter account Libs of TikTok posted an about a Colorado drag group the day after the shooting. It showed no remorse, no sympathy. They've been, oh, so anti-gay. Um, all kinds of accounts. Uh, their account was suspended from Facebook and from Twitter earlier this year after directed misinformation came against a Boston Children's Hospital saying they were doing things they weren't doing. Uh, you know, the, and, it, and it extends to anti-Semitism, obviously. The Manhattan DA says authorities prevented an attack on a synagogue by a man who runs a white supremacist Twitter group. Mm-hmm. Um, these are... If you don't see the links, just trying to pretend they're not there is ridiculous. This kind of language and combined with with a lack of gun control is really and a real sickness at the heart of the American DNA around guns and violence is really uh, so irresponsible and so uh, 
it's sick. I, there's just nothing to say. It made me sick to my stomach. I actually turned off comments. I'm not using Twitter as much. We'll talk about Twitter in a minute, but I had to turn off all my comments because the first time ever I'm starting to get really vile anti-gay stuff. And that's, I mean, it used to be just from the PR person for Ron DeSantis, but it, it started to get really ugly and I had to turn off my comments only to mm-hmm. people that followed me. I just don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And I, and it was sick. It was sick stuff. And, and right, people who, I, you could see who they were. Yeah, but you put out a powerful tweet. I noticed that because it got a lot of attention. And you said, I'm going to draw a line here, a link here. And you, uh, well, I won't, uh, you explain it, your, the tweet you put out. I, I put out a tweet that you want to draw a line between all this anti-gay stuff online. And, you know, this is like when, when Elon Musk, for example, make puts that Paul Pelosi thing out. Or yesterday he did a, you know, a, a Brokeback Mountain one around CBS. He thinks it's ha-ha funny. What they're doing is creating an idea around gay people that is sick. And so people who are mentally ill, like obviously this guy was, act upon it. They act upon these things, whether it's the Pizzagate thing or this or the Pulse nightclub or the attacks on the synagogue in Pittsburgh. This is how it happens. This is how it happens, is when people with take this as as real rather than just, you know, dunking on gay people or dunking on trans people. It's, I, I've lived through it and it's happening again. I can tell you that. The the only thing I would uh, check back on is that, uh, the notion around the mentally ill. And I think that the right weaponizes mental illness and will say, well, this was obviously clearly yeah. a, a disturbing man. And here's the thing, 93 plus percent of mass shooters would not qualify as mentally ill the day before Agreed. the shooting. Agreed. These are hateful people, but these hateful people who are totally, uh, they're usually looking for social status. They've usually yeah. been shamed. They're usually young yeah. men, and they latch on to some, something yeah. that they think will give renew their social status, and they pick up on hateful comment, us, uh, hateful narrative, mm-hmm. usually online. So don't, let's be clear, the, the, the mentally ill are more likely to be the subject of violence, not the perpetrators mm-hmm. of it. And uh, we don't want to give the right this excuse that, oh, we need more mental health counseling. No, we don't. You need to stop putting out content Mm -hmm. that gives people an excuse that when they they want to find social status, then they have access to an AR-15. Yep, which is what was used here. That they can wreak havoc on and tear at the fabric of our society. It's true, 100%. it, It is because it'd be very easy to just say, oh, it's all these young men who are mentally ill. No, no, it's more complex than that. It's like it's, saying Kanye West is mentally ill. You know what? He's an anti-Semite. Not every mentally ill person is an anti-Semite. So it's just right. not 100%. 100%. All right, we have to move on. Um, it's terrible. And we our hearts go out to the people there. And uh, it's just, please stop what you're doing, a lot of you people. It's, it's very dangerous. Um, Elizabeth Holmes has been sentenced to over 11 years mm-hmm. in prison. The judge announced Holmes was responsible for defrauding $120 million out of 10 victims, investors all, and that her refusal to take responsibility played a part in her sentencing. She will report to prison in April. Sonny Balwani is set to be sentenced on December 7th. Um, we got a related listener question on this topic from Stephen. He wrote, what's the difference between Adam Newman's actions and those of Elizabeth Holmes that allow Adam to raise huge sums uh, for his next boondoggle, but send Elizabeth to prison? Both stories seem to illustrate the gross lack of due diligence by investors. Well, investors agreed to testify here in the case of Adam Newman. No, they just said nothing. They let, let it happen. In the case of Adam Newman, in the case of uh, Elizabeth Holmes, she hid a number of things along with Sonny Belwani, according to the court testimony. So it's a little different, but you're right. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Sam Bankman-Fried versus Elizabeth here. Um, so what do you think, Scott? 
Well, we've uh, we've talked a lot about this. I am. I think it's troubling, and I think it warrants scrutiny. That appears the only one we're locking up for more than ten years has ovaries. Yeah. And uh, and I think Elizabeth Holmes is a very unlikable person, and I'm not suggesting she shouldn't go to prison. But if she's yeah. going to prison, I don't understand why a lot more white dudes aren't also going to prison. Yeah. Uh, or or why, or male tech leaders. And here's mm-hmm. the thing: you zeroed in on the the fulcrum here. It comes to state of mind. First off, Elizabeth Holmes didn't make a lot of money herself. Yeah. She lost a billion dollars of investors' money. The difference between Adam Newman, the reason why she is going to prison or San Quentin and he is going to yeah. Coachella, he lost $13 billion, is that that goes to state of mind. They believe that she knew she was lying. They believe that Adam bought into his uh, bullshit and thought he was just going to change the world, that he genuinely believed it. But the big difference, and you zeroed in on this, was Masayoshi-san did not want a loss of face. Mm-hmm. Because if he had gone after Newman, it's likely the company would have had to, to declare BK and American investors would have come in and taken it. Whereas in the case of Elizabeth Holmes, the essentially exceptionally esteemed gentleman on that board decided to go after her. Yeah. If, if Masayoshi-san and the board of uh, WeWork had said he lied, this they exaggeration was- They might have been able to prove it, yeah. They, uh, trust me, it would have been a different outcome. And this is what I don't get about Adam. If I were yeah. Adam Newman, yeah. I would be keeping the lowest profile in the world right now. <laughs> yeah, he got out of it. So, uh, and so I don't, I think Elizabeth Holmes is a cautionary tale. I think she's mm-hmm. a very unlikable person. There is something uncomfortable about the only person that ends up in prison here, uh, uh, 10 years plus, is a woman with a board that's all a bunch of white dudes in their 60s and 70s. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I had got a lot of like, how dare you say it's a woman thing. I'm like, um, look at the data. And several of the people, I was like, <laughs> you might be in jail if if your investors had really, you know what I mean? It was kind of fascinating. It kind of, I was like, look in the mirror, dudes. Like, it was funny. They just, you just didn't get charged. That's all. And, but what you did was problematic, you know, uh, you know, did, it, the question is, can you prove it's an illegal act? In this case, she was. But a lot of people like didn't go to jail. They just didn't go to jail. They didn't have to. And often, these guys get a pass by the investors because they're waiting for the next thing, as in the case with Adam or many others. Um, I think there's much more behavior than Adam's, I'll tell you that. And so, But it's, they're just not going to jail because the investors don't want, don't want to make a fuss, and they just are moving on. And hopefully, they'll have a better thing next time or something like that. They could throw her to the wolves. That's what they could do. It was easy. I was thinking about, I, I was listening to a podcast with Julie Wainwright, the woman who runs the real real. Oh, yeah. And she was talking about well. her whole life as a CEO. She's just had to think constantly about how she looks. And I was thinking about it. I was thinking about just the double standard. And that is uh, people notice a male CEO if he's in the top 10% of looks. Yeah. They notice female CEOs if she's in the bottom 90. <laughs> and that is... <laughs> If you're really hot as a man in business, people notice, yeah. otherwise they ignore it. And if you're not hot as a woman, they notice it. Yeah. It is just, it's an entirely different standard. And also the resentment and the anger and the disgust. And Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart, do you think any of those men hadn't done what she did a hundred times more? No, but she's the one that goes to jail, Martha Stewart, for, for insider trading. She's oh. another cautionary tale. She she went to prison for not for what she did, but for refusing to acknowledge that she did. Yeah, it. But anyways, that's what I mean. I'm just saying, you think there haven't been a dozen of those? Like d- t- hundreds, hundreds of dozens. The interesting one to watch will be uh-huh. uh, Sam Bankman-Fried. Sam Bankman-Fried. 
uh, you know, we're gonna, we got to move on, but this is, we'll see what happens here with Sonny Balwani and Sam Bankman-Fried and see if it's fair or not. It is not. We don't think it's fair. Speaking of good-looking people, let's get to our first big story. Bob One is number one again. In an abrupt move, Disney announced that former CEO Bob Iger, who we like to call Bob One, will return to his old job. Iger explicitly told me that would never happen when I asked him about it earlier this year. Let's play a clip. Uh, there are rumors that you could I, become Disney's CEO again. Well, that's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Uh, I, I was CEO for a okay. long time. You can't right. go home again. I'm gone. Really? It's happened before, Starbucks? I gave my ID up, my name tag up, my office, my email address. It's all gone. Right. And all the headaches that come with it. Would you want to be CEO of any other company? Would you think about doing that? I think if I wanted to run a company, I'd still be running Disney. Mm -hmm. No, no, I, I did that. (laughs) <laughs> in September, he came to Code, and he was dressed like he just got off his sailboat from French Polynesia. He was wearing the khakis, mm-hmm. the wrinkled, fantastic wrinkled shirt, the the stubble, and he was doing the same thing. He was doing the same, hey, I like investing, I like doing this, and I believe none of it, because I believe none of it. But go ahead. The only person that was more disingenuous than Bob Iger at your conference yeah. was Gavin Newsom, <laughs> Secretary Buttigieg, not running. Senator Klobuchar. Not running. Yeah. Uh, Mark Cuban. <laughs> Supposedly, none of them are interested in running for president, but they yeah. all got their asses on a plane to fly five hours to speak in front of the tech community. Yeah, they did. I yeah. mean, it was just hilarious. Oh, no, I'm not running for president. Yeah. All right. But Anyways. you love Bob. What are you talking about? You went on and on about Bob Iger and his handsomeness. He was I like effortlessly. He replaces, by the way, Bob too, Bob Chapik, who took the job in 2020. He had so many misses during his yeah. tenure. He angered Disney staffers when he offered late resistance to Florida don't say gay bill after first not he clashed publicly with scarlett johansson which i think is against the law he ruffled some feathers last month when he said adults don't watch animated movies which they do but most importantly disney missed earnings and revenue in last quarter leading to a sharp stock drop and then he was sort of jocular on the call it was crazy uh he did a bunch of other things too in the in the parks and things like that so what do you think about this Uh, beyond uh, bob's hand bob one's handsomeness uh, a lot of this so much of your life is just out of your control because to be to, to be a lot of this is self-inflicted injury, but more than anything, this was timing. The, you know, Bob too got handed a kind of a, a shitty hand mm-hmm. between COVID. Between it just the yeah. stock was probably uh, overvalued, so it's come off about forty-five percent. But the last nail in his coffin. Yeah. I listened to their earnings call last week, and he wouldn't stop talking about the success of the Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Night. Mm-hmm. And it was literally, does this guy, what? does this guy know what's going on around him? Well, that's because of the streaming uh, mess, right? The, the amount of money that he wasn't acknowledging that, correct? He, he he seemed just totally out to lunch. Yeah, and uh, a guy like Bob Iger gives uh, gives people comfort, and he didn't want to acknowledge the problem. I think a lot of the stuff's out of his control. That the actually the business unit that Bob too oversees is killing yeah. it. The parks, yeah. Oversaw. He's had a lot of missteps, but more than anything, he had bad timing because this is, and here's what's going to happen. Bob, Bob won a, Bob won again, and he's going to have the wind at his back. COVID, COVID has gone away. The parks are going to continue to kill it. He's going to be able to cut, cut costs in the streaming network and not see a dramatic drop off in subscriber growth because everybody else is going to have to cut costs. Yeah. He'll make a couple of big moves. And now that he just gives people comfort on the investor call. 
He does. Investors love him, and they they're they're subject to a lot of recently a lot of activist investors. Um, he can massage them a little better, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, Wall Street trusts him. And by the way, Bob Chapek will be fine. He's signed a, uh, his contract, so he's going to get paid out. But one of the things that Bob Iger, who I very much regard as re- one of the best CEOs around and mm-hmm. one of the very earliest to digital, was uh, he didn't plan his succession well. There was a whole bunch of stags. They didn't like There's, each other, right? They didn't get along. These two didn't later, yes. But there was a bunch before that. And so mm-hmm. I think he knew that his succession was done badly by him. And uh, and it was Kevin, what's his name, and Tom Staggs, et cetera. But none of it worked out. He had all these people. I think he's going to spend a lot of time on picking a su- successor like Dana Walden, maybe Dana Walden, but it's Dana Walden, or bring back Peter Rice, um, who, who Chapek, very popular executive who Chapek got rid of. Mm-hmm. He's going to re-restructure it from... Chapek's very bad restructuring where the where the distribution people got power over the content people. He's going to give power back to the content people. But I think he's he's going to fix the succession thing because I would say that would uh, a stain on his legacy and go out, you know, bringing it back to the top and then put someone really good in place like a Tim Cook-like character. That's what he's got to do. If I he think you're speaking rationally. Yeah. I don't... I think the problem that take the problem here is that they're men and they think they're immortal and they have enormous mm, egos. I and I don't know Bob Iger well enough to say this, but I've been shocked at how important a company is, how many people's livelihoods depend upon it, how important yeah. it is to your legacy. Yeah. And the top guy's natural reflex is to shoot anyone who looks like a competitor. <laughs> sort of. And, and more evolved, more mature people would say, okay, it's important. The company's bigger than me and I'm going to always have... You should, any great company should have three yeah. or four people who can step in and be That's CEO. That's correct. That's He did a bad job here. No question. And, and most of them, not, I don't know, most of them, actually, no, most of them didn't. I, I, was, I remember I was on the, you know, when I was on the board of the, I've been on the board of so many companies and whenever anyone appears ambitious and like they could be number two, unless you, you know, prostrate yourself to the, to the CEO, he yeah. or she has it, because they're naturally very competitive people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so interestingly, I, Bob Iger was very acquiescent to Michael Eisner, which is how he survived the the CEO stakes there. Well, Michael the Eisner pl- was this in spades. He yeah. kept saying he he was the thing that wouldn't leave. Yeah, yeah. And and Bob Iger with Steve Young sitting on the bench as the yeah. probably the greatest quarterback in you know in the NFL, uh-huh. waiting for Joe Montana to leave. And Bob yeah. waited and was very Patient. gracious. Um, I don't know. Others it, did not. It, it'll be Others interesting to see who. Let me what let happens. me ask you two questions. Sure. One is, um, I I do think he 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 was made mistakes here. That said, he was so bored. I could tell he was bored. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. when we started talking about investing, you know, or the stuff he was doing. One time he referred to himself as a house husband, which you know he was bored and he wanted mm-hmm. to be in the game. This guy is like a like still he's like sort of Tom Brady kind of thing. Like I can still throw. Let me put me in, coach, kind of thing. And I think what he saw was so many mistakes by. Chapek, that it, it's sort of offensive. And that's just happened. Listen, it's not new. Howard Schultz went back to Starbucks. You just predicted that uh, that Jeff Bezos will come back to Amazon. They're very vibrant and smart people. Uh, Bob is over 70, but he looks like, I wish I looked like him right now. Mm-hmm. He's really fit and he's just raring to go and at the top of his game. And so uh, that's not a surprise. Now, let me ask you one question about this. Mm-hmm. He had success from these acquisitions, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, 20th Century Fox. Unbelievable. What should he buy? Because one thing he told me on stage, one of the two interviews I did with him this year, was even Disney's almost not big enough. So he was mm-hmm. talking about 
buying something. Now, mm-hmm. he put a lot of debt buying 20th Century Fox on the company. I think it was mm-hmm. a good move, nonetheless. He has to compete in a tighter streaming market, cheaper Netflix tier, more players like Paramount+. Plus. Um, possibility of Apple or Amazon getting NFL Sunday streaming rights, which is worse for Warner, I think, it's mm-hmm. in many ways. What would you buy? Would you buy Warner? Would you buy Netflix? What What should he? What should he make a big ass acquisition and just? He said it very clearly. Like we're 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 in a pickle. Disney's in a pickle. He kept saying we're when he was talking about Disney, which was kind of funny. Uh, so they probably they can't afford to buy Netflix. It would be a merger. I mean, yeah. I don't know what, I'm not sure what their market caps are. Reed Hastings loves him. He just tweeted an incredibly positive thing about Bob Iger. But go I, ahead. I would argue as a Disney shareholder that their assets are more diversified and more enduring than Netflix. I'd be scared to give up whatever it is, 40 or 50%, whatever they need to give up. To It would be yeah. a merger. Uh, the, you asked me what they should buy. If I were Disney, I'd have my pencils out and I'd be looking at Pinterest. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Pinterest- He's had some bad things around internet acquisitions, but go ahead. Uh, I think Pinterest is the most aspirational and least toxic of the platforms. <laughs> they could use it uh, around marketing their film franchise. And I also think they could use it as vertical distribution around ancillary sales, sort of the equivalent of Disney stores. Oh, I like that one. So, not, not not Warner. Uh, the problem with these right now, I mean, yeah. okay, so it, it, the problem is Warner would have to get to the point, does Disney want to take on $50 billion in debt? And it would absolutely make them the number one streaming platform. Yeah. Um, it's a fit strategically. It's just that does Disney want to take on $50 billion in debt? And I don't know what Disney's current cap structure looks like right now. But a less bet the ranch uh, acquisition would be to come in and buy Spin Pinterest. some stuff off. They wanted to spin off ESPN. There was a couple spinoffs that people had talked about. Too. That might make sense. That's what Dan Loeb wanted. This is one of the activists. Dan was probably ba- behind. I wouldn't be surprised if Dan off. was... I wouldn't be surprised, by the way, if Dan played a role in what happened oh, sure. over the weekend. He's under pressure. Bob is under pressure. We think Bob one is up to it, but Bob one is under pressure, and he will have to really perform. He sent a lovely letter to employees. You know, he's reaching out. He's having meetings. He he's a pro. So I heard he made everyone show up with their latest animation. <laughs> and he's that's good humor. <laughs> there was a lot of jokes that's like good that. Humor. I mean, the contrast between him and Elon Musk is so vast. But Bob is not going to put up a penis joke on Twitter. It's not happening. No, I don't know. The only real difference is grace, maturity, and real hair follicles. I don't. Yeah. I don't think there's much, <laughs> really much difference here. Well, experience, judgment, kindness. I mean, I don't no, know. What to but say. you know, Bob's named his children after numbers. Oh wait, no, I'm sorry. But Bob's had nine <laughs> children by seven. Oh wait, no, no, no. Uh, but Bob is, is fomented anti-gay trope. Well, no, no. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, All right, so. we're going to get to him in a second. Um, let's go on a quick break. When we come back, Twitter employees and Trump tell uh, Elon Musk, thanks, but no thanks. And we'll speak with a friend of Pivot, Noam Barden, about how social media can save journalism. It's something that Scott and I have been cooking up. Support for this show comes from Virgin Atlantic. Let's talk travel. Whether you're setting off on a business trip or taking that well-deserved summer vacation, we're always so focused to getting to our destination that we forget to embrace the journey. Well, when you fly Virgin Atlantic, it serves as a reminder that a memorable trip begins right from the moment you check in. That's why they offer loads of special touches to truly elevate your time in the sky, such as in-flight movies, music, TV, and podcasts that you actually can't wait to dive into a snack bar that you can help yourself to at any time, and an iconically British high tea high up in the clouds. They've got these little salt and pepper shakers that you're encouraged to pocket as your first souvenir. And if you're feeling really fancy, how about a wine tasting experience at 38,000 feet? 
Uh, so really, we're just getting started. From their brilliant next-level service to the food, the entertainment, the planes, the clubhouse, the crew, and so much more, these are just a few of the many special touches that make me love flying with Virgin Atlantic. And I do. I fly Virgin Atlantic a lot. Check out virginatlantic.com for your next trip to London and beyond. And see for yourself how traveling for business can always be a pleasure. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Scott, we're back. Mm -hmm. It may be unthinkable, but Donald Trump says he doesn't want to tweet. I don't believe him. Over the weekend, Mm -hmm. Elon Musk reinstated Trump's Twitter account after doing that fake poll that we talked about. Mm -hmm. But Trump passed on the opportunity. He said that he doesn't see any reason to go back. That's in keeping with the statements he's made all year long. Musk brought back other suspended accounts, including uh, Kanye West. I'm not calling him yay. I'm just not. Project Veritas and Kathy Griffin. While some employees uh, said no to Musk, at least 1,200 tweets passed on Elon's ultimatum to go hardcore, according to the New York Times. They left the company instead. Bloomberg is reporting another wave of layoffs at Twitter, this time affecting the sales team. As of now, it's unclear how many people are affected. Uh, He complained about bots on Twitter, so then he does a bot-filled Twitter poll. Um, He said he was going to have a content moderation council, and then, of course, he made the decision, which we said he would, replatforming Yay, Trump, and Project Veritas. His accusations that he's organizing a space for fascists, I kept to tell you, it's gotten worse in the past couple of weeks, for sure, perceptibly. Um, A notable departure from Twitter, Apple's Phil Schiller appears to have deactivated his account. That's not a surprise he didn't use it that much. That's led to some ridiculous speculation that Apple could take action against Twitter, like removing it from the App Store. Oh my God, the right wing has literally nothing to do all day but make up stupid uh, conspiracy theories. But what Mm -hmm. do you think about all this? Okay, you summarize it. It's meaningless. Meaningless, yeah. I I predicted he wouldn't come back on the platform because I don't think a megalomaniac wants to share the stage with another megalomaniac. You said he would. You're right. I'm wrong. But uh, who knows what will actually happen? And then there's this bullshit around whether or not Trump can go on the platform because the agreement he signed with True Social, it's a private platform. They can bring whoever they want back on the platform. Yeah. So I don't think it's... I'm not nearly as worried as as many people are. I, I are. actually kind of like Trump being on the platform because I want to have a front row seat to seeing his his yeah, Republicans demise. can't be happy. Um, Republicans can't be happy. But look, it, this is what's happening. Uh, the biggest business mistake Musk is making is not one they're talking about, and that is the more moderation, the more profitable the platform. Full yep. stop. Yep. And so he's alienating people. He People don't want to be a part of this cesspool. They don't want to, they're mental. People are finally waking up to the fact that just seeing this shit, just being a part of it, and then maybe you get tempted to weigh in yeah. and say, you know, you know, ye, I don't agree with your statements. And then other people attack yeah. you. It yeah. takes a toll on you. I would agree. I've stopped doing that. I'm only using that platform. I will market our stuff. Like I'll say, here's a podcast, and that's essentially marketing. Yeah, I will, I'm not I've putting any personal stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm not putting any personal stuff on it, uh, and I'm not 
like like a like a like oh this Washington Post article is interesting. I'm not helping them do that. I'm not putting up anything I'm reading. Um, it's just I'll purely respond on stupid Musk things like these ridiculous conspiracy that Apple will pull it off because Tim is liberal and gay, which is. Tim is a capitalist, pretty much. And by the way, he met with Trump a bit, so he had to. He's an executive. These people live in a different world of weird conspiracies. It just, everyone's a capitalist except for you people because they, they will do what they need to do. And if it becomes dangerous, they'll take it off. If it's not, they won't. That's pretty much it. And so I think it's really, yeah, exactly. I didn't write any, like, I can't believe Trump's back, except, like, of course he's back, like I said. Like, I'm not going to get mad at these people. I've cut off their comments because I don't want to listen to them, because one, they're anti-gay, and two, they're stupid. And so I, I feel so much better. It's a much better experience without that. Agreed. I have to say, you were right about that. Um, so what's going to happen next? Anything that's going to happen next, or do we care as much? Uh, I'm well, caring I, less and less. My prediction is, and we've been saying this for a long time, I'm doing a head of lettuce test. I have a head of lettuce, and until the site goes down. Now, I want to be clear, the site, you've said it before, the site's gone down before. Yeah. I don't think you can treat people this way and then not have some ramifications. It's fine to lay off people. Yeah. Uh, it's not fine to disparage them or try and fire them for cause or shortchange them. Uh, I just I think this is all a political stunt. I think he would I think he would rather kill a live puppy on Twitter Spaces than be out next. of the news for forty eight yeah. hours. Yep, I would agree. So with you. it's a poll. I, oh yeah, okay, sure. Like you, like just when you ran the poll around whether you should sell Tesla stock, and it ended up you'd been selling stock all along. Yeah, you know. So in my sum, he should absolutely take that poll and stick up, stick it up his ass. I, I'm just sick of these. <laughs> well, polls. you saw that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It was the gay stuff. Is just drives me crazy. I have to say, someone reached out to me and said you should uh, reach out to Elon or you know show you know, and I was like, you know what. It's no. not your turn to be graceful. You've no. given him the best. You have no. been as about as strong an ally as you could have been. <laughs> I think I said he can go fuck himself after the last gay ones. Yeah, I think I, that's what I said. I said, no, I'm not going to. I don't care if I ever speak to him again. This is ridiculous. I know it would be a big get, but honestly, if he comes, he better get ready. He better be loaded for bear because bear is bad. And uh, and I just, I was like, no, I'm not reaching out. I'm not, there's nothing. I'm like, if that's the person I become, I'd rather not be in the profession. At some point, you'll. Uh, I will talk to Bob Iger though, because I like talking to Bob Iger. It's a pleasure. Um, I'll him talk to him. Him and his cashmere people. ways. Yeah, his, his cashmere. <laughs> I call him the cashmere prince. He really is. He really is. He's just gracious. Uh, that's not why I like him. By the way, I talk to lots of assholes. Um, but th at this point, it's like, no, I don't think so, sir. I think you better get yourself. I don't know what. I don't know what you can do at this point. Anyway, we don't care, but we do care about good uh, tw the things we like about Twitter, which is community, mm -hmm. meeting cool people. Um, I met so much fun when it's fun, um, and not when it's the cesspool that it's become. So let's bring in our friend of Pivot. Noam Barden is the founder and CEO of Post News, a social network with the goal of paying publishers. He previously served as the CEO of Waze for many years, a popular map app before and after its acquisition by Google. All right. Welcome, Noam. And for full disclosure, I have been advising and helping Noam on the project, and Scott is an investor. We like to put that up front, and there's reasons for it. For my part, and Scott can answer for himself, I have never helped any entrepreneur before. I love Twitter. What's happening is depressing to me. And I think what Gnome's put together is wonderful and really interesting. It doesn't mean it's going to succeed. It's very hard to do these things. But never before have I done this. And I'm doing it for lots of different reasons, most of which have to do with, I think there needs to be a great place to trade news and understand news and talk with people you don't agree with. Scott, do your little disclosure. 
Yeah, I put substantial personal capital uh, behind Gnome and Post News. And first and foremost, I'm a capitalist. I see a huge economic opportunity. Gnome was able to carve out uh, with ways the un unimaginable, and that is when Apple and Google were spending billions of dollars on maps. He came in and, which is a superior product, built something they couldn't compete with. So just as you'll find out in this interview, pretty much Gnome is arguably the most successful product guy in the history of, of recent tech. And also like you, Kara, I can imagine a better world where social is about enrichment and not about enragement. And yep. so we're, I asked you to get involved. You get, uh, you get asked all the time. And yep. much to my surprise and delight, you said yes. So yep. anyways, with that preamble. All right, Noam, let's get into it. So let me just say, I, one of the things I tell people, I think one of them was like, who is this guy? And I was like, you know, Waze was a social network for traffic. So I'd love you to talk about that first and then talk about the problem Post is meant to fix. So I guess uh, Waze was not exactly a social network, but it was a community-driven right. application. Right, right. So I'm using had, that broadly. At, at Waze, there's an amazing community of people all over the world who mm -hmm. are um, hierarchically managed in the sense that they're local editors, they're area managers, they're country managers, they're global champs, they're experts at localization, experts at specific routing. And this community really makes Waze what it is. This community makes sure the Waze is local in every market that it is. That's how we know in Malaysia what the name of a road is. And this is a similar model that I want to apply to content moderation. When I imagine how social networks should be moderating their content, it should be done by local people who understand what's going on locally, but have also proven themselves to play by the rules over time, built up a reputation. So if you think about what happened in, in Myanmar, right, between the, the uh -huh. Buddhists and the Muslims, no person, very few people in the world would have understood what was going on there to moderate that content. Any person in Myanmar would immediately tell you what's going on because for them, it's obvious. And yeah. that's exactly what we want to tap into with this community of moderators that we want to build within Post. Right. So what's the problem it's meant to fix? What does it do that, say, Twitter Blue doesn't or Twitter doesn't, for example? So I'll take a step back. Um, I've been obsessing for the last like six years about this triangle between publishing and news journalism, social media networks, and the changing consumer behavior. And these three things have been working together, I believe, to bring us to the worst possible place. Mm -hmm. News has moved to subscription, which basically converts maybe 2% of the users and so blocks 98% of the users from getting real editorialized content. Mm -hmm. Consumers have changed their behavior. They want to consume their news in their feed. And so the obviously consumption from a feed does not work with subscription. And social media networks with their uh, advertising-based uh, model promote the worst in us because it works. I mean, the algorithms are, don't really care. They just, you know, try to achieve engagement at Use. any cost. Right. And so, I mean, I spent a lot of time tr since I left Google about two years ago, building different products in this space, trying different things, and finally realized there's no choice but to build something new. And what I've realized is there's a moment of opportunity now, and it's wider than just what's going on on Twitter, right? Facebook yeah. basically decided to drop news move it out of the news feed and then stop paying uh, news organizations, right? On the, on the legal side, regulators are trying to force platforms to pay publishers, right? There's this whole uh, ecosystem of where does news fit in that is kind of broken today. And I believe it stems from the business model. What I believe consumers want is to be able to get multiple sources of news in their feed, some from creators, some from people, some from professional journalists. They are willing to pay something for it. 
It doesn't have to mm-hmm. be free if you want good quality news, but that doesn't mean you're going to subscribe to every publication. The fact right. that every publication thinks you're going to subscribe to it just mathematically can't work, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. that's not going to work. So we need other models and we can't have a world of just advertising or subscription. So now part of the problem around um, what's happened with social media is that the incentives lead to real externalities. How are you going to build in different incentives with post news? So I think the the incentives or the business models obviously drive the behavior. And today with social media, frankly, the platform doesn't care what content is on it. It cares the engagement between the content units because that's where they sell their ads. And so they don't care if you actually read the content. All they care is that you stay on the platform. And if you go and spend five hours on a platform and walk away angry and upset, that's success for them. Mm-hmm. For us, we want to be able to bring the right content to the right user at the right price. And that means that if you come onto the platform, spend 15 minutes, walk away feeling smarter, that's success. But it also means that our incentives are aligned with content creators, whether it's publishers or individual content creators. We both make money or don't make money. Unlike mm-hmm. today, where the platforms make a lot of money, but the publishers and the creators make nothing. Yeah, how difficult is it to deal with the publishers? That's something you came to me about. Uh, and you know, they're very risk averse. They've been also through the ringer with these people. It just doesn't work. They've kept promising things. I, I remember when I got approached by Facebook about being on Facebook Live, and they're like, Kara, it'd be better for you. I'm like, why? What, tell, explain to me why. Well, because you'll get better known. I'm like, I am well known. Like, what? what is the plus? Is there money? And then they're like, well, we could pay you. I'm like, why would you give me money if I didn't earn it? Like, I was so irritating to them. And I was like, there's no plus for me. There's a lot of plus for you. Same thing with over at Twitter. You know, I've had this famous $8 fight. Stephen King made it more famous, but I'm not paying them for something I don't want. And everyone's like, you can afford it. I'm like, I don't want to afford it. How do you get to a place where value is created for publishers? Because that's really their question is, why should we do this? Because they're famously risk averse, as you know. So it's been definitely an interesting time spending the last almost two years with publishers. Yeah. And I think when you look historically, publishers have missed every opportunity the internet had. And they always came in too late doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. They could have been Google. They could have been Facebook, right? They, you forget how powerful they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago. They couldn't have been, but go ahead. I I say they could. Putting aside that, but from a market perspective, and they could have also negotiated a very different relationship with these platforms in the beginning. Yes, they could. So I think we need to reboot that relationship and redefine it in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yes, they've been screwed by every tech platform. And, you know, mm-hmm. I can say, wave my hands and say, I'm not going to screw you, but they've heard that before. Right. But I think what, what can work is the incentives, right? And that to me really is this. If our incentives are aligned, the product can change a million times along the so way. So give me an example of that. Tell, give me an example. So subscriptions, you hit a paywall, you don't, unless you were part of it, you don't get to read. And even sometimes on Twitter, I hit the Washington Post and I have a subscription and I have to sign in and sign in again. So that's, that's just irritating. But what are the incentives for them? Explain an so, example of publisher A. Don't so let's one. start always from the consumer. By the way, that's one of the problems with publishers. They don't talk about the consumer at all. The consumer, yeah. they, it's not part of their you know, yeah. DNA. They're, they're no. saving the world. But it, when it comes from the consumer perspective, right? The modern consumer wants to get multiple sources in their feed. Why can't you do that today? Because every time you click on it, you hit a paywall and you're not going to subscribe to everything, right? Yeah. And so this means that publishers are losing 98% of the traffic. Now, mm-hmm. the 2% that subscribe are obviously very, very valuable to them. And so what this means from a newsroom perspective is they end up writing for that 2%, which are the most extreme and politically aligned group, and they're not writing for the average. And the, if they could hear, hear in terms of, mon- of monetization, the requests of the average, I believe that would also impact dramatically what they cover and how they cover it. Mm-hmm. So in my view, you're going through your feed, you see an article from the Washington Post on inflation, 
you click on it and you read it. No friction. Friction is our biggest enemy, right? You one click, you pay for it, you read it. Next article coming in might be the Wall Street Journal on inflation because your feed has been changing based on what you're reading and you're going to read that suddenly. So suddenly you've read two different takes on inflation in your feed, but you're not subscribed to either of them. But the publisher can set the price. They can set the terms. They control the, co- so the contents. Micro payments. Micro payments. Exactly. Yeah. Micro payments. Yeah. Which was a mistake to- Twitter made at the beginning. They never had that integrated. So, in. so I, I think it, it's a mistake of the internet, if you want to call it that way, that that model never came out. But it makes sense. Micro payments require paywalls. Without, right. you know, if, if content is, is ad supported, you can tell me all you want that people will pay to get rid of the ads. That's a few people in Silicon Valley. Yeah. You know, the p- consumers have short hands and deep pockets. They can't get to their credit card, right? So right. we have to be able to remove the friction, make it seamless, but also make the price relevant. A yeah. one cent read of an article is a $10 CPM in advertising. Yeah. So if you're comparing to subscription, obviously, if someone's paying you $400 a year, it's a different story. But if you compare it to what you're making on advertising today, a few cents an article is a, is a game changer for your monetization. Yes, yeah. it requires publishers to do things differently, and they don't like that. It requires consumers to do differently. They, they don't talk like about cannibalization. I'll let Scott in a second, but they talk about, that's what I hear from them. I said, you don't have these list readers. They just hit the paywall and leave. So you never had a chance to impress them in any way. So, yeah, so cannibalization is interesting. That, that's, a, that's a buzzword for not doing anything. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it's one of the things we think about micropayments, pricing can be dynamic. It doesn't have to be set. So if someone's reading three, four articles of yours, maybe the price is super cheap. If they're going to read 40 articles of yours, well, maybe the price would go up at that point so you have incentive to subscribe. Because if you're reading 40 articles a month from a specific publisher, you should be surprised, uh, subscribed to that publisher. Right. right? So we can build, uh, you know, we can build the different components. Uh, one of the challenges, I don't think publishers have strong enough analytic system to understand what they're beginning to understand. The traffic from social media does not convert at all. No. So your risk I know here, it. I know it. your risk is so low, right? So it's much more in your head. In addition, you can stop whenever you want. You know, it's like nothing is set in stone and I have to make it work for the publishers or, or there's no business here. Yeah, I think the micropayments part, whether it's Simon Holland with his dad jokes or the Wolf Conservation Group that has these wonderful videos of wolves, just the idea and what I love about Post News so far is I can just say, this, this made me feel good, here's a buck. Anyways, my question, there's a, there's a tough needle to thread here, and that is the dissenter's view is really important because sometimes what seems crazy ends up not being that crazy. How do you thread the needle between ensuring that the dissenter's voice is respected, but at the same time trying to ensure there's not a crazy amount of spread of disinformation? Well, let's start from the, from the fact that there's no simple answer to it. Yep. And there are edge cases forever and the world's gray, right? So it's like... There's no solution to this. The question is, what's your incentive, right? What are you trying to achieve? And to me, the, I think one of the big differences is, are people attacking the person or the concept? Hmm. And I think that's one thing that I want to make very firm on this platform. You can attack anyone's a, a, a ideology, but you can't attack the person. And that, I think, is one of the things that have fallen apart. And then there's this kind of false equation of allowing people to be assholes means free speech. It's not... True, we can all be a little bit more respectful of each other. Um, having debates about content, about ideas is super important. But as soon as we start throwing in, you know, what we think about that person's lifestyle, that obviously degrades us to where we are today. And um, I do think that, that being able to preserve the, the, the reputation of the user algorithmically in the back end will allow us to be able to find who are the 
the players, the, the, the good players who are actually playing by the rules and we should be promoting their voice on the platform. Right. So talk about that because it's a reputation. There's that that happens at Reddit and you, they are not, not, not distributing anonymous people except to their followers. Right. So what's talk about that, the reputation system. So let's put a big caveat here. We're super early. We started this about five, six months ago and we, I think our first code was written in July. So we're struggling to keep up and, and really thank you everyone that's been involved. And I apologize to the people on the wait list. We're trying to get you off as soon as possible. We're, we're working yeah. on it. So it's not there. But from a vision perspective, what we want is a situation where if you are a verified user and our verification will cost a little bit of money because it's going to be with a third party and you have to show your ID, you have to be really you. If you're verified, you'll be under your real name. There's no verification and not being under your real name. You can choose. Right. You can be anonymous. You can be verified. If you're verified and you have a, a you, you're going to get into our recommendation engine and we're going to try to distribute your content. If your score, your reputation score goes down because people are complaining about it, we're going to take you out of the reputation and suddenly your content will only go to your explicit followers. Right. And if you continue to misbehave, that your followers will not be able to reshare that content on the network until the point where we throw you off. Yeah. We would rather have a smaller community of people who feel safe and are open about their discussion than having every single person on the platform allowing the worst of us to emerge. So everyone talks about Twitter's technical debt and that since it started, advances in cloud computing have just created an opportunity to build feature functionality at a fraction of the, of the person years required. If you were to build something as good or better than Twitter right now in terms of functionality, how many people do you think it takes? So that's always a big a, a question. People ask, so why does Google have 150,000 people? Or, you know, yeah. the, the more you scale, the more edge cases uh, you reach into, the more support you have to, accessibility, languages, internationalization, et cetera. Um, I think there are a few core things. One is the advertising model requires a tremendous number of people, salespeople, mm -hmm. you know, support people, ad ops, et cetera. And hopefully we can move uh, away from that. Second thing, as you said, cloud technologies today are different in a world that you don't need to, to manage your own data center. What AWS can do for you and what's it done for us in such a short period of time is, is unbelievable, right? I mean, I think about 80% of what we did at, at Waze today, you get out of the box on AWS. Uh -huh. So you can do really amazing things there. And that's going to help a lot. But more than that, I think it goes back to engaging with the community. Community has to be built day one into the DNA of the company. It's not something you can tack on later on. And if you do it right, we we built ways on $38 million. That's the money we spent to build the company and, and to really build verse competitors that spent a billion dollars a year doing a similar thing. And that's because of this amazing community. People want to engage. They want to be part. They want to take responsibility. But the platform has to give them that responsibility. The reason people have, have, have spend so much time with Waze is because we have editors that have the the rights and permissions to delete the 101 highway. Sure. So they're there because we give them that trust Power. and in return they don't abuse that trust but that right. means building it from the from the core and this is i think where where we'll see the most savings is that right. if we can engage the community we'll get higher quality more uh, um, uh, relevant uh, moderation and obviously more cost effective so we don't need to to fill up the platform with ads and do everything else so talk i'm just curious to what you think about what's happening at twitter right now you have had to move this forward really quickly right you were you were going to launch months from now correct or or at some correct. point um so uh, before I get to that, actually, you've got an investment from one of Twitter's investors, correct? 
Yeah, so uh, Andreessen Horowitz uh, and Scott are my two investors uh, today. Uh, we did a seed I'd round. I sent you some others because I'd like you to have more women on the cap table. Uh, de- definitely. And, and when we talk about our A round, I know something we've been talking about. How do we bring non-traditional investors in? Right. Uh, and we have to figure that out. But um, Can you say how much they invested? I'd love to know how much Scott invested. No, nah, it's not. It's not really relevant. But it's a, they're also investing in Twitter, but just for people to know, which is my favorite part of this whole thing. Um, those people would sell their mother gnome if they needed to, trust I, me. I would put it a little differently. The, every okay. large firm is invested in in multiple bets. Oh, you're so, on see, look at, see, that's the difference between <laughs> see, you and I. I, I can, I can uh, actually, be polished. Yes, you can be. Very good. But yeah, I'd love I've to never, know what you- <laughs> I've never seen anyone, except maybe a few strip bars, throw more money at someone than they are throwing at Gnome Bardeen right now. Anyways. Okay, Scott, thank you for entering that in the picture. Um, but speaking <laughs> of which, how do you think the, what's going on at Twitter? Because you had to rush it forward. You This this has sort of declined in six days versus the six months that you had. You've had to really work all weekend. You're putting out some great notes about that. People really appreciate them. I know regular people do. Um, can you talk about what you think is going on there and how, you, how it affects you? Well, look, I don't believe that anyone could have fixed Twitter at the price point that was set. Yeah. As soon as the price was set, it was kind of defined. There's no way you can generate enough cash off that business. You need to go, the whole idea of taking company private is to go low and spend a few years cleaning things up. You need a lot of cash for that at this cost base, at that debt uh, level. And so to me, when I heard the price, it was obvious this is not going to work. I assumed it would take like six months for that to happen and not six days. Um, on top of that, Look, the, the, the team that's taken over Twitter, um, are not from, have not built on the modern internet in a long time. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there are ideological uh, kind of components there that are just, uh, I'm trying to be polite. It's just not like me. Look, it's just screwed up. I mean, let's be realistic, right? No, nobody yeah. acts this way. Yeah. Right. I mean, just from a pure human to human interaction level, to uh, support anti-Semites and to make jokes about Christian uh, uh, ideology uh, when they're not funny uh, and about gay rights. And, and, you know, there's some things that, that, that people care about. And well, it, a smart I, marketer, a smart entrepreneur said he's doing it for marketing. He called it, uh, you know, one person called it snarketing, that he needs attention at any level. No, so, That's why so bring on Trump. A, do needing attention and marketing are two different things. Yeah. Right? And this is definitely needing attention. And it was funny because just the day that, that Trump came back on in the morning, we had a discussion internally and we thought it would take a few weeks. Again, yeah. everything's happening faster than we think. Yeah. And my position was they're not going to be able to, 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 uh, uh, they're going to do it in spite of themselves, right? They're not going to yeah. be able to, to give up this amazing opportunity to stick it in the eye of everyone else, right? Yeah. Now, social media is fragmenting into different platforms. And that's yeah, there's before, lots of them. Right. Yeah. There are a lot of them. There are ideological ones like Truth Social. There yeah. are, uh, um, you know. There's Mastodon. Uh, and Mastodon and there'll be more. There's a federated uh, one. There's Blue Sky's going to come out soon. There's uh, uh, obviously TikTok and Snap. So there are a lot yeah. of different options. And I think each platform needs to represent something. What does it stand for? I think right now we see what uh, um, uh, Twitter is standing for. And that's fine. That determines obviously what the user base is going to be and, and what the feature set's going to be, et cetera. We want to stand for something very different. I want to care about the 75% of users that today on Twitter don't tweet, 
right? They really are who I'm thinking about more than anything. Not the small percentage that make all the noise and, and have all the followers and all the, all, all the excitement, right? Regular people who want to use social media to get their news. They want to communicate with others. They have questions and they don't want to be called a Nazi or a communist for just having a question out there. They don't want to be doxxed and they don't want their gender discussed, you know, widely. We can do better than that, you know, as a society. Yeah. We don't have to go to our lowest common denominator. And the core of that is being willing to throw people off the platform. Twitter yeah. never had a, 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 a problem with rules. They have lots of rules. They just never enforced it. Yep. Partially, they had no full-time CEOs. Nobody really cared. Let's be realistic. And, mm -hmm. you know, thankfully now CEOs do have a, <laughs> you know, we are yeah. important. So that's good for me, for my job security. Yeah. But the flip side of it is that, um, you know, you have to be able to stand behind something and actually prioritize it. And when you don't, when you say the rules are there, but we're not going to enforce them, you know, people will act that way. It's by yeah. design. It's not, yeah. and it's all driven at the end of the day from the business model. I know the capital isn't a problem. I know the size of the waiting list isn't a problem. What is your biggest challenge right now to overcome in terms of, yeah, what's so, your biggest concern? Number one is execution. Mm -hmm. um, and that means not disappointing our users. Uh, I'm trying very hard to, ma to manage expectations and that's always the biggest problem. Yeah. Um, because we are not where we need to be and it's going to take a long time to get there. We have basic feature. I mean, over this weekend, we basically rolled out search and a personalized feed, meaning on Friday, you couldn't find anyone. And on Saturday, even if you followed them, it didn't matter because everyone saw the same feed, right? That's the extent of what we're missing. I think people have been, the thing that I find most uh, exciting is how engaged and supportive people are. I sent yeah. an email to the waitlist telling them, basically, I'm not letting you in. And people write back, thank you, we'll wait, thank you for doing this. I write an email that we just released uh, this product at 11 o'clock at night, get some sleep, make sure that the team is sleeping, we can wait another day. A and that's really what, what the community and social used to be about, right? People just yep. wanting things to be better and volunteering. I get the tremendous amount of people volunteering for all different kinds of roles. Just tell us what we can do to help. Yeah. So, First of all, if you're an engineer, definitely there's a lot you can do to help and, and, and come help. But uh, that's our challenge. How do we grow the organization fast enough without bloat and while staying efficient and while actually delivering to our users and not over-promising? And this is really what keeps me up at night. And I think also it's hard to build a social network. It just is. It's hard to make things happen in that regard. Unless, but you do have to set the rules at the start in order to get there in the first place. Look, we, we already had an interesting uh, um, kind of first issue around moderation on the platform where someone posted a, a Kanye's Shalom post, which was obviously extremely offensive to not only to Jews, but anybody who doesn't like anti-Semites. And um, someone posted it on a, a article in post and basically said, look what's going on in Twitter. And yeah. a bunch of people got really upset by that. I don't want to see <laughs> this. Why are you posting it here? Blah, 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 blah. And this, and this is what social is about, right? And the rule is simple. You know, the, it, we can talk about bad things if we're not talking about people, right? We're talking, yeah. bad things happen and we should be able to talk about that. And I think that, and people came around to it. Some yeah. will maybe not want to see it, but the point is, as long as we know kind of what we want to do, people are rational and people want to help. When we, we begin applying rules in a, in a, a, a non-consistent way, when we say we stand for things and then we let other things happen, that's a problem. I would rather people not say they stand for anything than say they stand for something and not deliver. And stand means you're willing to take a pain for, yep. for that position. If you're not willing to take any pain, then you don't stand for it. So just don't say it. Yep. 
Very good. All right, Noam, you can see why I said yes to this. But by the way, if you may have any screw ups, I'm going to be right there to smack you around. <laughs> you are every day smacking me around mm. and all I the do, screw ups. So I do. I do. I do. And privacy. I do it on privacy. I really expect a lot of you. And so, uh, although the bar is low, as you know. Um, so, uh, but I really, I'm, I'm very excited about this. And I hope people will really give it a chance. And I know you're trying. One thing I'm saying is this is early. These are hard to do. It might not work, but the but when you build it with the correct, my big issue around all everything on the internet is if the architecture is bad, everything else follows from it. And so so far so good. I like I like how you're building this house. And thank you, so thank you we'll very see much. Where it goes, and we really appreciate it. Again, full disclosure, I'm advising, and Scott is an investor. Just and, so and I want just like just again thank the two of you. You've been instrumental along the way on on, on really kicking me around, as you said, uh, yeah. uh, on the feedback and on helping uh, promote this. But I really want to thank the people on the wait list. I know it's frustrating. There are people that have been on it yeah. for five days and we're doing everything we can to let you in. Believe us, you'd rather get in when things are a little more stable and we're, tr we're doing everything we can. So, you know, a little more patience and thank you very much for, for, for the support. You can find Noam's latest project at post.news. Thank you, Noam Barden. Thank you very much, Karen Scott. All right, Scott, you've dragged me into this. It better work out. Anyway, when, <laughs> I think you're right. I always... Uh, I really hope the best for this. He's such a great entrepreneur and I've always admired him. Anyway, one more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, Scott, let's hear some wins and fails. Uh, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I have just yeah. two wins today, and they're both about uh, engaging with your sons or your kids. Yeah. I went to this wonderful photo exhibition this weekend in London called Seeing Auschwitz, and obviously a very dark, heavy topic, but my sons are now at that age. I want them to know, sure. you know, I, I want them to know more about you know, our blessings. I've always said that the reason I've always told them the reason that they are here is that a the brains, brawn, and blood of the British Americans and Russians, respectively, in a 21-mile strip of ocean known as the English Channel are the reason they're here, because their, their grandmother, my mother, is a five-year-old Jew living in London. Uh, mm -hmm. Her life would have ended with a train ride, uh, and that we need to know what happened, and I want them to start learning about it. And this exhibition was very moving, because uh, I had seen many of these photos before, but what they do is they have a narrative to make you look deeper at the photos uh, to see some things you may not have observed or what's going on. Um, you know, a child looking around for uh, his or her mother, someone in an oversized coat, what the SS officers were doing. 
I think that stuff is just, and then, uh, and something I really appreciate, and they do this at the uh, genocide memorial in um, in Kigali in Rwanda. Yeah. They talk about other genocides, and as a species, mm-hmm. unfortunately, we are very good at genocide. It's not something we that are. just happened in the middle of the last century; it continues it to happen. Not. Uh, so I, I think that's something I share with my boys. It's obviously not joyous, but I think it's important. And I think I feel closer to them and they're starting to understand just how blessed they are and how much of our good fortune is not our fault. Uh, and then the other, uh, just speaking along the lines of sharing with the boys, and I realize there's a lot of controversy around the World Cup right now. I am having already just a wonderful time. England uh, 6-1 victory. I'm going to watch uh, the USA later playing against Wales. My son has picked Argentina and the Netherlands to go uh, a long way. But I, I would just tell people, uh, dads and moms, I am not into sports. Kara, you and I are kind of the same mind Ugh. on sports. I could give a Can't shit about it. them. But I'm telling you, it's such – if you're, one of your kids gets into sports, it's just an amazing – Oh, I'm going to all the basketball games for my son. Yeah, it's going. just an amazing way to connect with your kids. and. Yeah. Uh, I'm going, you know, I'm going to Doha just as I went to Russia four years ago, and I, I, I'm super excited. This kid, Saka, who I watch in Arsenal games, he's 21 years old. Yeah. Uh, really interesting backstory. I, I just love, I am just Good. feel very well, fortunate nice. to engage with my boys over nice. things yep, from totally different Yeah, that's very nice. Totally I am going to all my son's basketball games. I like What are your wins and fails? I'm going to do one that's silly. Uh, I just watched The Sex Lives of College Girls last night, the latest season. What a great There's another from- season? Yes, and it's so good. It's so much tighter, and they're so good together. This group has really gelled. This entire group, the entire there's four girls mm-hmm. at the center of it, but um, just wonderfully it's Mindy funny. Mindy Kaling, right? Mindy, Mindy Kaling. Kaling. It's yeah, yeah, so she's very good. So it just we were we Amanda and I were watching last night. And we we're just laughing out loud. It was such a pleasure. It's so funny. It's on HBO Max. Um, I it's worth the. It's so good. It's so funny and. It's not substantive, I guess, but it's witty. It's very witty. So I really enjoyed it. I was saying to Amanda, it's effortlessly diverse. Like, I know it sounds dumb. Sometimes when it's made to be diverse, you're like, eh, what are they doing here? It doesn't work. It's awkward. In this case, it's just it's just funny. It's just funny. I lo- I just it's just funny. I love it. Um, negative, obviously, uh, these anti-gay tweets by Elon Musk are repulsive and disgusting. I I, I just I just don't know what to say at, at all. At the and the on the on the height. I mean, and towards everybody, no one was right after a shooting, a, a murder murders at, at a at a at a gay and lesbian and trans club in Colorado Springs. His juvenile and toxic memes this is what I tweeted aimed at women and then gays. Mm-hmm. Really sick. I have to say, it's getting into sickness. And uh, I'm so sorry for the people in Colorado Springs. Um, I'm sorry you're not safe. We are not. I've never felt safe uh, being gay. I'm sorry to hear that. But let's hope hope for better days. Hope for better days. Anyway, on that note, we want to hear from you. Send us your questions about business tech or whatever's on your mind. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit a question for the show or call 855-51-PIVOT. Okay, Scott, that's the show. We'll be back on Friday. We have a parenting show, Scott. Isn't it good? about that. Yeah, we love good. being parents. It's our favorite thing. What's your favorite part of parenting right now, very quickly, to preview people? Uh, raising competent, loving people with, with someone I love. And every night we can marvel at just how wonderful it is. Yeah, and I like uh, my kids dunking on me. I think it's very funny. <laughs> I, like I get a lot sh- of that. I get there's yeah. no shortage of that. I think That's I get a little too much of that. That's my favorite part. 
That is my favorite part, just hearing about their days. Anyway, you'll love this show. It's really good. We've got some great experts and some great questions from listeners, and we really appreciate it. And Scott, I just want to say to you, have a beautiful Thanksgiving in you, London. Cara. I guess they don't, do they have Thanksgiving? I guess you're going to have your Thanksgiving, correct? Yeah, we're doing a Friendsgiving, actually, on Wednesday a here. A lot of Americans, well, yeah. Happy Thanksgiving to your family. I hope you have a wonderful meal. Thank you. Likewise, Kara. And to all our amazing listeners, I have to say one of the greatest parts of our job is we have astonishing listeners who are cordial and respectful and also interesting. And we really wish you a happy Thanksgiving. We're very thankful for you. Yes, thank you for your support. And uh, we always talk about it. People come up to us and they just couldn't be nicer. And it's just a lovely part of our lives. Thank you very much. All right, read us out. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Intertot engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows and Mia Silverio. Yes, that's right. I sold my Tesla, but before I did, I took a big fucking dump in the passenger seat. I don't know if that'll affect resale value.